The last few weeks, we started kind of looking at the Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem a week before Easter. Then we looked at what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweating great drops of blood, and praying that the cup that the Father had for him could be removed, but Jesus' prayer saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we talked about the wrath of God that was should have been ours. We deserved it, but he took it all until the Father's wrath was satisfied because of sin. And then last week we talked about the resurrection. And really it's impossible to overstate the importance of the crucifixion. It's impossible to overstate the importance of the resurrection, even though, as I said last week, it sometimes gets overshadowed by the crucifixion. But we're going to look at something else that gets overshadowed even more, and yet is a very significant part of Jesus' ministry here on earth. I try to always put myself in the place and try to imagine, if you were there, what would it have been like? You know, I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like for what the disciples have went through in the last, as we'll see, 40 days. All that took place from his arrest all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection, and leading up to this day. Can you imagine what your thoughts might have been? And then you hear these words from Jesus that really, can you imagine if we called up 11 of you and said, you know what, you're going to go change the world. I'm leaving, and you guys are going to go and change the world. We're going to start here with your families and your, the, all the other fellow Jews here, and, and then we're going to send you out further and further. As a matter of fact, you're going to go to all the world and change everything. And then he's gone. You didn't get to see it so much in that video clip, but there's some other video clips that I was looking at that, it, that showed the, the disciples after he left reacting, responding, you know, laughing, smiling, hugging one another. Uh, the excitement of what was coming and what they had just witnessed. And it's kind of interesting. I, I find myself thinking, you know, why, why did he have to disappear like that? But can you imagine if Jesus had just one day not been around? He just, he's just gone. The disciples are kind of wondering, wonder where he went. Where is he, what, you know, can you imagine what that could have done to your thinking? Were we imagining the last 40 days? Where did he go now? When's he coming back? Is he ever coming back? What are we supposed to do? It, it, it would have given such confirmation, such reassurance, that not only was Jesus who he said he was the Son of God, but this whole stuff about the kingdom that he's been teaching us about the last 40 days and actually about the last three years, the kingdom of God, that he was going to be some sort of king, and all of a sudden we see this ascension scene take place. And we're going to look today at the ascension and realizing that Jesus' ministry didn't stop when he left the earth. I'm going to read, starting in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read, uh, actually starting with verse 1. But before I even do that, I'm going to go back to the last couple verses in Luke. You don't need to turn there. But we don't see too much in most of the Gospels about the ascension. Um, some, we don't even see anything. But Luke gave us a little bit more information than the others. In the end of Luke, the last three verses of the, four verses of the Gospel of Luke, he wrote these things. Jesus led them out 
of Jerusalem as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Talk about a benediction. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. He just left them, but they returned with great joy. And they were continually in the temple. Then going to Acts chapter 1. He says this, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he had presented himself alive, after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. For 40 days. What was he doing for those 40 days? Well, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. That would have been, his seems, his primary emphasis amongst all the other things he was doing for those 40 days, confirming that he was alive and had risen from the dead. He was teaching them more about the kingdom of God. And for there to be a kingdom, there needs to be a king. And Jesus is about to be enthroned at the right hand of God as king. It goes on and says in verse 4, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? It's amazing, isn't it? Even after all that's taken place, even after 40 more days of teaching after the resurrection, I'm pretty sure this was Peter. So, Lord, is it finally going to happen? Yes, the answer was yes, but not the way they he was still thinking. So Jesus says to him, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the most remote parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, can you imagine how intently you'd have been gazing into the sky? I mean, we'd have probably been freaked out before he got to the clouds. And he says, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And then it says they went back to Jerusalem, gathered in the upper room, and, and verse 14 says, and they with all with one mind were continually praying. <clears throat> I'd have been praying. What we just witnessed and the command we'd just been given. And still not understanding completely because the one who was going to reveal the truth of all the things that Jesus had been teaching wasn't there yet. And they didn't even understand what that meant. 
Can you imagine? He commands you to go into all the world. And there will be a general going with you who's going to give you all the orders and tell you what to do yet. But don't go until he comes. What would you think? And that's kind of where the disciples were. And they were praying. But there was great joy. There was excitement. There was anticipation. Whatever it was that was coming, the kingdom was about to really take off and to be launched. And with the ascension, with the ascension of Jesus, some, some books call it the exaltation of Jesus, being exalted to the Father's right hand. Can you imagine the homecoming he received? We're going to look at that in just a minute. I, what I want to talk about is try to give us six aspects of the ascension. I don't know how to say it any more clearly than this, but we need to remember that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. Throughout the Old Testament, it was mostly all about God the Father. They were being forecast or foretold about God the Son's coming. And for approximately 33 years, he was on the earth from a baby till until he was crucified, buried, raised again, and And then finally, 40 days after that, he ascended to heaven, and he's gone. God the Son is no longer on earth as God the Son. But he's saying, go to Jerusalem and wait. And if you understand what the word Pentecost means, Penta means what? I don't know. What's it mean? (laughs) It means, come on, 50. 50. He's been, we can figure this out. He was teaching them for 40 days. Pentecost is the 50th day. So how long did they wait in Jerusalem? 13 days. <laughs> I was just going to help you math people out. 10 days. 10 days they are waiting and praying and anticipating and what in the world's going to happen when the power comes. And what was the power? It was God. The Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, but now in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence on earth today. Now, I'm not saying that God the Father is not a big deal and God the Son is not a big deal, but the presence of God that's on the earth today is a big deal. We need to understand and know more about the Holy Spirit. You know, we say, or I say things like, boy, I would have loved to have been there in the days of Jesus. Really, why? When you think about this, if you really think about it, we are living in the ultimate time. We understand the God the Father. We understand more about the Old Testament. We understand all that. We understand now looking back at all of the prophecies about Jesus, this new covenant coming, this new covenant that was established by Jesus. The laws are now written in our hearts. We understand all that. We know about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And if you were a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's like we went from God the Father being the focus, God the Son being the focus, now it's God the Holy Spirit. And he's living in us. Don't get so excited. When God spoke and the worlds were created, what the Spirit of God hoovered over it and caused it to happen. He lives in you. If you're born again, believer. 
The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the Holy Spirit's power lives in you. And as last week we talked about some of the things that were confirmed by the resurrection. You know, in our lives, we are now new creatures in Christ. We are now new creatures in Christ. That old one's dead, the new one's alive. And we forget and we let the enemy torment, torment our minds with all these lies about not being good enough, not being adequate, all that garbage that keeps us in bondage even after we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That all was accomplished and confirmed because of the resurrection. All your sins were dealt with at the cross, confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus. It's all been, and you're a new creature. You are now living the new life. It's not future, it's just going to get better. But it's already began. The moment you accepted Christ, the moment that happened. And now he has ascended and the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. That's a big deal, church. It's a really big deal. And we just sort of go, yeah, we've read about that spirit stuff. My old church, they called him the Holy Ghost. That didn't do us any favors in understanding who he was. He's a person. I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's going to be in two weeks. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But I want to focus on the ascension, the six aspects of the ascension. When I read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he wrote this to Theophilus, and he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. All that he began to do and teach up until the day he was taken up. Meaning that he's doing a lot more after he was taken up. That word began is critical there. He's not just gone on vacation saying, well, that was a tough 33 years. I'm so glad to be back. He's still working. He's still doing things. He's still, in, in his second book that Luke wrote, the one we started to read in Acts chapter 1, in some of your Bibles it's labeled the heading, the Acts what? Well, it says the Acts of the Apostles. I would like to change that if I could not get struck by lightning changing the Bible. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And guess what? The establishing of the church. Guess what? He's still doing it. The Holy Spirit is still working to build Christ's church, and he's still working through people. That's us. He's still working. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples to change the world and for people to say, "Uh uh-oh, here they come. They've turned the whole world upside down. Now they're coming here. What have we turned upside down lately? That's a rhetorical question. I'll let you deal with it. But we should be turning some things upside down. We should be not making fools of ourselves, not being stupid, but we should be impacting the world in such a way that the world would say, wow, what in the world? How is it happening? How are they doing all this? What's driving it? What's the force behind it? It's the Holy Spirit building his church. Jesus is still working as the Holy Spirit through his people on the earth today. The the ascension of Jesus really launched that. Second thing I want us to look at is that he sends his Holy Spirit. Now, I've mentioned this, I've talked about him, and I'm going to touch on a few things here, but I really want to talk way more on the Holy Spirit in a couple of weeks. But we need to remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. 
God the Father is a person. God the Son's a person. And God the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a ghost. He's not this thing, ethereal thing floating around out there. He's not a force. Like may the force be with you. Who's the guy who wrote all those Star Trek or the Star Wars things? What's his name? Say it again. George Lucas. You know where George Lucas got all that stuff from? He studied Buddhism. He studied Buddhism, and this whole force thing kind of was where it began that got him writing all these things about may the force be with you. The good force, the evil force. Well, he's true in a sense that there is a good force and there's an evil force, but it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. God working. May that force be with us, the Holy Spirit. It's not some invisible thing that we, we, it's just not hardly real. We don't see him with our heads or eyes, but we know he's there because he lives in us. He's real. I'm just going to read, and I'm going to read parts of a lot of scriptures. I put them on there just like that instead of spending three hours reading them all for you. But there's so many scriptures here, and I'm just going to read a few. And in the um, Luke 24:49, Jesus told his followers after his resurrection, he says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, be, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send the power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. In his Pentecost sermon, Peter said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God in reference to Jesus and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you see yourselves and are seeing and hearing. God promised in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And this promise is being fulfilled by Jesus as he's been ascended to heaven. It's going to empower us, his church, for a worldwide mission. You know, as we, we read in Acts, you're going to go change the world, but wait in Jerusalem till the power comes upon you. It's going to transform believers. I want to read Romans 8, chapter, or verses 9 through 11. It says this, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I know I read them fast. But the point is simply this. Jesus went to heaven, seated at the Father's right hand. He is now the king sitting in the throne. And one of the things he did was ask the Father, to send the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in his church, to empower his church, to lead and guide and direct us, to transform us into the image of Christ as we surrender our lives to him. As we surrender, you know, there's such a misconception in the world. We hear the word surrender so often and we think of weakness. In the spiritual sense, the surrendering of our lives empowers us to accomplish things as the Holy Spirit leads, guides, and directs.
Really, if you want to get to know the Holy Spirit better, you need to surrender self. As long as we're still trying to be in control, we're going to not listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And if we do listen and we hear it, we'll ignore it or disobey. It's just surrender. You know what? God's plans are are so much better than yours and mine. We think we've got things under control. We think what we, we know what would make us happy in this life. We think we know what we can accomplish. Those are lies that we believe because we want to elevate self to this place we don't belong. It's when we surrender our lives to God, his leading, to the Holy Spirit, you, we begin to hear him more clearly. And the longer we stay surrendered, the more clearly we hear him. And all of a sudden, we are discovering blessedness that we've never thought possible. We are discovering a transformation that's taking place in us that we never thought was going to be possible. We don't have to be who we were. The old man's dead. We are a new creature in Christ. And it might look the same for a while, but as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, it looks different. It begins to behave differently. It begins to accomplish so much more. And it will all be for the glory of God as we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Enough on the Holy Spirit for now. I've alluded to this and said it, but it's Jesus' ascension is really this heavenly enthronement of the King of Kings. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The kingdom of God is being released in a completely new and amazing way. When the disciples asked, are you going to establish your kingdom? The answer was yes, but it's not for Israel to take its place. It's for the king of kings, a spiritual kingdom that we're, we're all a part of. He is now ascended and is the king enthroned. In Acts one nineteen or one nine, it says, After he said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes. And it says at the the end of those verses I read earlier, who has been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way who have seen him go into heaven. And he's going to go. He's ascended as a king. He's going to come back. But he's going to come back as the king. He's going to come back as the mighty king. He's going to come back as the Lord of lords. He's going to come back the same way, but it's going to be different. You know, Stephen declared that when he was about to be stoned, that he looked into the heavens and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He stood up for one of his martyrs. There's a prophecy in Daniel that, quite frankly and honestly, I hadn't looked at or read, thought about for a long time. But in Daniel chapter 7, Verses 13 and 14. Listen to this prophecy in light of Easter and the ascension. Daniel's prophesying and he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. He came at the picture. I saw one coming as in the clouds, as, as a, the man, the son of man. And it says he's, if he's being presented to the ancient of days. He's being presented to the father. And he goes on and says, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel's prophecy is almost a perfect picture of the ascension and what was taking place on the other side of what we can see with our natural eyes. He was brought in the clouds and presented to the Father. Can you imagine? And it's probably pretty hard. Can you imagine what it would have been like in the Father's heart when his son returned to heaven? Just think about that. I tried to come up with an analogy or a metaphor and nothing works very well. Can you imagine your beloved son, your natural son? Nowadays, it could have been your natural daughter going away to war. And in a horrendous battle and severely wounded, but survives. And finally, finally they come home and they're back in your arms. Can you imagine how you would feel? Oh, my gosh. I can't even multiply it with big enough numbers to to try to understand what it must have been like for the father who had spent eternity fast in fellowship with his son and with the Holy Spirit, with a love between the three of them as one that we can't comprehend. We can't get it. And then he was separated from you for those 33 years. And you had just, less than two months before, poured out the fullness of your wrath towards sin upon your beloved son. You'd you'd seen him being nailed to a cross. You'd seen him being whipped, scarred, spit upon. You'd seen him suffer beyond what we can imagine he suffered. Sweating great drops of blood. This is your son. And here he comes. Home to heaven. Receiving the glory that he had before he left. I don't know if the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit embraced, but but if they did, I'll bet it was one whale of a hug. The Son had done all this, and he was back. And it had been prophesied by Daniel centuries before. Jesus' kingdom, as we read in Daniel, was one that cannot be destroyed and will not pass away. It's forever. According to Revelations 3, Jesus conquered and sat down with his father on the throne and where he receives unending praise. He's going to reign until all of his energies are subdued and they're under his feet. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures I could read in reference to that. So God's kingdom now has been inaugurated in a new and different way. The king of kings and lord of lords is seated on his throne. And he will return one day to consummate that kingdom and the promise. Fourth point I want to make, Jesus' ascension is his return to the Father. And I've already went there. I love to imagine those things. I I bet the angels were going crazy. No wonder they're shouting hallelujah and hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you imagine? They didn't understand. They're created beings. They didn't know all the Father's plans beforehand unless he told them. Can you imagine when the Son is returning to the Father? 
what the angels must have been doing. In John chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus himself says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. He told Mary outside his tomb, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to tell my brothers that I am going to ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The sweetest reunion in all of history probably took place there. John 17, Jesus has fully accomplished his mission and glorified the Father on earth, and he's received his glory back that he had before he left. John 14, Jesus, I, I read this scripture a lot at funerals, and I do like it, and I think it's very appropriate for funerals or prayer services. It's in John chapter 14, it's verses 1 through 3, 1 through 4, 1 through 6 if you want. This is Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Familiar with the scripture? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be there with me. What an amazing promise. I think it's very appropriate for a funeral of a Christian, don't you? I've gotten new insights. For me, they're new insights. I hope they're biblical. <laughs> but I read that, and I'm thinking, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know when he said this? You need to go back just a couple verses. You know what had just happened the previous verse? Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. But don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. Amazing. I usually think immediately of heaven. And he's up there building me a mansion in the sky. Right? But boy, he went to prepare a place for us. He went to be beaten to a pulp. He went to be nailed to a cross. He went to be buried in a tomb. He went to prepare a place for us. Well, I do believe he's preparing a place, whatever that means. And when he's coming back, we're going to be there with him forever. But I think there's so much more, especially when I look at in light of Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But I love you, Peter, and don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a return to his father. All these things taking place because he ascended and after the ascension. Probably one of the things we may have talked about before is the fifth one. He ascended to become our mediator and advocate. That's a big deal. You know, you get in legal trouble. Who do you want defending you? I want the best attorney I can get. Nowadays, it'd probably be the best attorney I can afford. But I want the best. Can you imagine when Satan comes and accuses you or me before the Father, we got an attorney named Jesus. We've got a mediator named Jesus. We've got the one who died, suffered, has, took the wrath of God. We've got that one saying, hey, Father, it's covered by the blood. It's been forgiven. It's covered by the blood. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, 
and, and it's amazing sometimes how something can be so clear and religion can do some such silly things. But when you look at that verse that I'm about to read in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Now, is that confusing? There's one God, there's only one mediator, and it's Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only one. There's no other way. There's no other advocate. There's no other mediator. He's it. He's the only way we can pray directly to the Father. It's because of Jesus, the the eternal high priest. He's the eternal sacrifice that gives us access to the Father. It's no other saint. It's no other person. That's it. That's not intolerant. That's loving to let people know that. That there's only one way. His death and resurrection secured our forgiveness. It secured for us our justification. It secured for us a reconciliation with God. And his ascension for us secured for us an advocate and a mediator forever. The ascension's a what? A pretty big deal for all of us. Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7. There's a number of verses. You know, when Jesus was ministering on earth, he was limited geographically, wasn't he? There was only one. Now he's in heaven. The Holy Spirit, his spirit, is in us. His ministry is no longer limited geographically at all. At all. Isn't that amazing? He can be ministering to me in Ballotin. He can be ministering to somebody in China, somebody in Africa, somebody on the, in the Philippines, all at the same time. By his spirit, through his people. And again, I hope this is accurate. But what I, came to me this morning as I was praying about this was, doesn't limit my ministry geographically either. I can pray for somebody in China. I can pray for somebody in Africa. I can pray for somebody in the Philippines. And know, because of the Holy Spirit, I can know that those prayers are effective and ministry is taking place in a realm I don't understand. Isn't that nice to know you can pray for your family members no matter where they're at? You can pray for the missionaries you support no matter where they're at. If you have a compassion child, you can pray for that child no matter where they're at. Your ministry is not limited geographically because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. Isn't that just mind-boggling? This is the power that lives and dwells in each one of us. The last one I want to mention is the ascended Lord Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back as the king and the judge. And when he comes back, it was like those angels announced to the disciples as they're standing there, I'm sure, with their mouths open, and Jesus is gone up into the sky somewhere. And they said he was taken up into heaven, and he will come back in the same way. And when this happens, his reign is going to be fully realized. You know, as believers, you might take a lot of flack. We might take a lot of persecution. All of that could happen, probably should happen, probably is going to happen. But when this happens, everything that we've been doing or that's been done to us 
we are going to be totally vindicated. Totally vindicated. He is going to come back just like he said. And guess what then? We are going to rule and reign with him forever. Pretty exciting. The ascension. So the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. And then came Pentecost. And we'll get there in a couple weeks. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us with our natural minds by your Holy Spirit to comprehend in greater and greater details the things we've talked about these past weeks. God, what was really accomplished through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, through the ascension of Jesus. God, I pray you would put a desire in each one of our hearts to know you as the Holy Spirit better. Father, I pray you would show us, even this morning, those areas of our lives that we've not totally surrendered to you. God, that we would surrender ourselves to you. God, that we would, by surrendering, allow your Holy Spirit to lead us into the destiny that you have for us. That you would lead us into being more effective ambassadors for Jesus Christ, more effective witnesses for Jesus. That we would be better equipped as the army of the Lord to take back land that the enemy's taken. Father, I thank you that because of your Holy Spirit, the truth of the matter is you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that becomes a greater reality in each one today. Father, I pray you for your safety and protection over us as we drive today. pray you would watch over us. I pray that you would keep us safe. I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself. Give us a hunger for your word that nothing else will satisfy. I pray, Lord, all these things will bring glory and honor to you. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.